Daniel, and we're going to be in chapter 2. Kind of taking us a few weeks to kind of get into the um, what will be such a significant thing. We see the influence of Samuel, but uh, last week we had Hannah's prayer, if you weren't here. And uh, by the way, my wife had this suggestion. She, she has a lot of good suggestions, but she had this suggestion. You might think about this. You know, if you wanted to keep these lessons in a little notebook, this, this format half a page, that's what I use on my sermon notes, is the template that I use, because it fits into my Bible, you know, so it works really good, but sometimes, I, I, I did a series once on first on the book of Colossians, first of all, I burst through it, and I just kept all those notes together, and then you can have them to refer back on sometimes, so it's just a thought you might consider, so uh, you can get these, we have, them in, have had them in the bookstore before, but you can get these about anywhere, and it's a good way to keep sermon notes together or Bible study notes together. So anyway, so we're kind of seeing in this lesson sort of two different tracks. Uh, one of them is the, what I would call the track of Eli's family, and we're really going to see today um, really how desperately uh, depraved some of them were. Now, along with that, then you have a totally different track, and that's the track of Elkanah's family and Samuel's family. And, and really, um, what we're going to see is that God is going to judge Eli's family for the sins that they've been involved in. But in the midst of that, he's going to raise up a new leader, and that's going to be Samuel, who will be really one of the most... Uh, one of, the, one of the key leaders of all the Bible because it was his influence in a dark time that resulted in um, Saul being the first king and then David being anointed. And, and so we'll get into all that later. So today we're going to kind of just look at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and we'll begin reading in verse... Um, well, let's look at verse 11. That's how you ended last week's lesson. Elkanah went to Ramah to his house. So they've been in... They've been in Shiloh where the, temp, the tabernacle was, the house of God was. So Elkanah in verse 11 and his family returned except they left Samuel there, of course, where he will spend his, his youth and his years serving the Lord. Last part of verse 11, and the Lord and the child. By the way, that word child, it's not just an infant now. It's, we don't know exactly his age, but he's old enough to be responsible that he could serve the Lord. And he said, the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. And so, uh, so that brings us to our, our beginning place today, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, or Belial, however you pronounce that, prefer. The sons of Eli, Eli's the high priest. It was Eli that announced to, um, that, to Hannah that she would give birth to a son. The sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Now that phrase, a child of Belial or the son of Belial, sounds like Baal, but it has nothing really to do to, with Baal. It was just a, a term to describe um, people that were evil. As a matter of fact, and 
you might remember this, in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, whenever um, Eli had thought that Hannah was drunk, and remember that? And she was defending herself in chapter 1 and verse 16. She says, count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. In other words, don't, don't, don't look at me like I'm a wicked person. And that's what that word sons of Belial, we found, it's first mentioned in Deuteronomy, but it just means a wicked, ungodly person. And, and it says also about them in verse 12, they knew not the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. So even though they were serving as priests, if you have some blanks you want to fill in there on number two, even though they were serving as priests, they had no personal relationship with the Lord. Now that's an interesting thing to think about because, you know, there are a lot of people today in what, what people would call uh, positions of, uh, we had a guy ask me recently, referred to me as a man of the cloth. <laughs> you know, people like that. People that are clergy, people that are in ministry, people that are, that are filling places of religious responsibility, but they don't really know the Lord. And they couldn't, we're not the judge of what's in somebody's heart, but you couldn't, be, you couldn't really be of the Lord and want to teach and preach things that's so contrary to the Bible. You know what I'm saying? You've got to wonder about a person's spirit. So that's where they were. They were priests. By the way, I, I think you would know this, but just so you're, just to be reminded, don't, you know, when we think of a priest, sometimes people think of a Catholic priest. But these priests were not like that. These were Jewish priests. They were, they were priests because they were in the tribe of Levi. They were family. They were associated with the Levitical tribe or sons of Aaron, I should say. And so, they're, so the, these were priests. They, weren't, they didn't aspire to be priests. They were born with that responsibility. But they didn't know the Lord. You know, they were in a position of where they're supposed to be serving the Lord, but they don't even know, know the Lord. And that's, and that's something really, isn't it, when you think about it. It's a bad place to be. It's like the blind leading the blind, as Jesus said. And he said that concerning religious people in his day that were in a, in a place of respect, should be in prominence, but they didn't know the Lord. So we're going to look at these sons of Eli today, be there under your nose. Their service really was selfish and offensive. And by the way, it's a, it ought to be a reminder for all of us because all of us serve the Lord should be serving the Lord in some capacity. But the, but the service of the Lord should not be for personal gain or recognition. It ought to be for the Lord. And, and what we see when you, when you look at their behavior, it was very selfish. Um, and it had, we're going to see that it had to do with the way they were being, uh, they, they handled the offerings of God. Now we're going to we're going to come right back here, but in your notes, it refers us to Leviticus 7. And I'd like for us to look at that for a moment. Leviticus chapter 7, because there is, there's some uh, guidelines for how the priests were to handle the offerings. And, you know, there's a lot of different offerings in the Old Testament. The particular offering that they're talking about here uh, was a peace offering in and so let's look at Leviticus 7 for a moment. Uh, and let's just start in verse 31. It 
By the way, just looking for verse 29. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, He that offereth the sacrifice of his peace offerings unto the Lord shall bring... So sometimes there were peace offerings, sometimes there was trespass offerings, sometimes there were burnt offerings, but this was the peace offering. Look in verse 31. And the priest shall burn the fat upon the altar, but the breast of that animal shall be Aaron's and his son's. So, the, so the, when a person brought this sacrifice, the owner of the animal would bring the sacrifice and the first part of the fat would be burned for the Lord. And we may not think about the fat being the best part, but in the Bible it was the best part. And so, but there was a specific part, two parts specifically was for the priest, for the Aaron, Aaron and his sons. Look at it. The breast shall be Aaron's and his sons, verse 32, and the right shoulder, not just any shoulder, but the right shoulder, shall you give unto the priest for a heave offering of the sacrifice of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron that offereth the blood of the peace offerings and the fat, the fat goes to the Lord, shall have the, the priest shall have the right shoulder for his part. For the wave breast and the heave shoulder have I taken of the children of Israel from of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and given them unto Aaron the priest and unto his sons by statute forever from among the children of Israel. So there were specific guidelines for these offerings and what they would offer. The fat would be burnt for the Lord, the, the breast would be for the priest, and the right shoulder would be for the priest. Okay, let's keep that in mind. Let's go back, if we could, to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And let's just read verses 13 through 15, and then we'll just kind of um, examine it a little closer. Verse 13. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething, that word seething generally means boiling. It was cooking, it was boiling. So when the flesh of the offering was being cooked, the priest's servant came, not the priest himself, but his servant came with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. So he has this, in his hand he has this hook, you know, and he's got three teeth on it, verse 14, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, whatever the case might be, and he struck it, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they've changed it. Not, they're not just using the breast and the right shoulder. I think they're getting that. But they're also wanting more of it. So they, they had this system where they'd have this flesh hook, and they'd hit it and would pull out the flesh, and they would have that to eat. Verse 14, so they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Shiloh is the place of the tabernacle. People brought their offerings. All the Israelites that came there from around Israel would come, and that's what they would do. Verse 15. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee but raw. So, now, they've, now they're saying, you know, before you roast the fat, 
you know, you need to give him raw flesh because he doesn't want it after it's been cooked. He wants to grill it himself on, on his, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just, so here's what's happening. The priests are just changing all the laws. And it's not because they want to be more pleasing to God. God gave them a prescription for how it was to be done. And the reason they're changing it for selfish reasons. And uh, for instance, even before they burnt the fat, the first part of the offering was to be burnt. This fat would be burned up for the Lord. And the remaining part, if you're looking at your, uh, uh, I'm, I'm skipping some stuff. Number one there, the Levitical law made provision for them to receive portions of certain sacrifices. Y'all thought I was going to forget to tell you those things, didn't you? And you were right. And then under A, in the peace offering, the fat was first burned, then certain portions given to the priest, and the remainder for the owner and his family. So in our text, they're just they're changing everything around. And the fat... B, the fat, which was considered the best part of the animal, was to be burned first as a sacrifice to God. Let's go back at our let's go back if we could to Leviticus for another moment. Honey, would you mind taking a lesson back there to uh, Paula? Let's uh, see. Leviticus chapter three. Maybe you just leave some back there in case somebody else comes in. This just Leviticus chapter three, there's a lot in this. Um, are you got Leviticus 3? Verse, verse 3, he shall offer the sacrifice of peace offering. There again, it's called the peace offering, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. The fat that cover the inwards, all the fat is upon the inwards. Verse 4, the two kidneys and the fat that is upon them. And then just skip down to verse 16. This kind of sums it up. Leviticus 3, 16. Uh, the priest shall burn them upon the altar. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savor. Notice this. All the fat is the Lord's. <laughs> Pretty clear, isn't it? The Lord wanted that. That was the special part. Now, when I, you know, when I get a piece of meat, I generally cut the fat off. I'm not really big into eating the fat. I know some people just love the fat. But, but the, Lord, the fat, I'm going to say it's to the Lord. I'm going to take it off and I'm going to say it's the Lord's. I'm not going to eat it because the fat belongs to the Lord. So... Back to our text in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Um, B, there right in the middle of the page. The fat which was considered the best part of the animal was to be burned first as a sacrifice to God. And I believe this. This was like a reminder that God ought to get the first part. The first part should go to God. But in Eli's family, the sons were saying, they were changing that. And they're going to demand, before you cook that fat, we want to have a choice. We, and we don't want ours to be seeded. We don't want ours to be cooked. We want to have raw meat so they could roast it for themselves. And, um, and, and just look, at, look in verse 15. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed. Now, the man that sacrificed here was not the priest. This was the man who's bringing this animal. And, and so the servant of the priest said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, uh, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. The priest, the servant of the priest, says the priest will not accept this cooked meat. He wants raw 
meat. So all these things are just selfish, selfishness. They're, they're showing their greed, their selfishness, you know. And, and then look in verse 16. They actually threaten him. And if any man said unto him, let them fail to burn the fat presently and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he, the servant, would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Now imagine that. You're bringing your offering. You're bringing your offering because you love the Lord. You want to do what the Lord wants you to do. You're bringing your offering. You're going to sacrifice your offering. And the servant says, interrupts, the servant of the priest interrupts and says, you know, if you, do, if you don't do it the way we want it done, then we're going to force you to do it. Now, can't you see how this would be just, at best, discouraging, and at worst, it would make people just hate the whole the system, the religious system, because it's just about the priests. It's about what they want. It's about what they need. By the way, you can see this in some of these religions today. You know, they're, they, they want what they want. They're be looked at, exalted, highly exalted, all this kind of stuff. But, but the purpose of serving the Lord is to serve the Lord and to serve people. It's not to be about ourselves. So they would be there. If anybody refused to comply with these demands, they would be threatened. And three, what a terrible example by those in a place of, of service. Now, again, I just want to go back to verse uh, 16 because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, references to men and pronouns and, and just make sure we understand it. Verse 16, if any man, okay, verse 15 says, um, give flesh to roast, he will not have sodden flesh, we want to give it to you before it's done. And then if any man uh, were to say to this servant, so the servant's saying, the servant is saying, you can't cook that until we get what we want out of it. Otherwise, we're going to force you. And so if any man who's bringing his offering were to say to him, and that him is the servant, let them not fail to burn the fat present. In other words, don't, don't fail to do the very first thing, burn the fat presently, it goes to the Lord, and then take as much as your soul desires. That's all we're saying. Burn the fat, give it to God, then take as much as your soul desires. And if somebody says that, then he, the servant, would answer him roughly and say, either you give it to me, or if you're not, I'm going to take it by force. So, so the whole point of this lesson, the whole point, I believe, of God putting this in the Bible is to show us how corrupt the priesthood was, how self-serving they were, how selfish they were, and how there needs to be a great change. And that change is represented in Elkanah, and Hannah and Samuel, who are going to bring godliness and, and, and really holiness back to the leadership. Notice, if you would please, in number four there, the sins of Eli's sons were very great before the Lord. Let's read that verse 17. Wherefore, the sin of the young men, talking about Eli's sons, was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. People 
people couldn't come to the come to Shiloh, come to the tabernacle, come to do something that they wanted to do before the Lord. They couldn't do that without this corruption, without facing this evil, this corruption, this selfishness. And, and I, I noticed, I put in bold in your notes there, the phrase, they were very great before the Lord. Um, because all of this, is bef- God sees it all. It's before the Lord. God sees all of this. And um, so, A, under number four, the Lord was aware of their carnal demands. God knows that. You know, this, this little phrase, I've been following this phrase in 1 Samuel, before the Lord, because Eli's sons and their wickedness was before the Lord, and Samuel and his service was before the Lord. The point being, God sees everything. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Nothing, you know, people may think, well, God doesn't see... You know, if you're reading the Psalms, sometimes those who were badgering the psalmist, those who were criticizing the psalmist, would say, well, God, you know, God doesn't see, but God does see. And, and the, you know, I think about our own country and the, and the you know, this is, this is religious corruption here. There's a lot of religious corruption in our country, but there's a lot of political corruption. There's corruption everywhere. And, but it's all before the Lord. It's not a secret to God. You know, no matter what people are doing or why they're doing it, God knows it. And so, what a terrible example, though. What a terrible example this is for people to see God's servants doing this. So again, if you're looking in your notes, number 4B down there near the bottom, these actions were so offensive to those that were bringing their sacrifices, they abhorred it. And see, the servants of the priests were guilty of this evil behavior. That's one thing you see is the servants were like representing the priests. No, you can't do that. The priests would not have you to do that. So the servants were guilty, but Eli and his sons were bore the responsibility because it keeps going back to them because they are responsible for what's taking place. And so, you know... Uh, Number C there, the sons of Eli will be dealt with later. We're going to talk about this next week or so. But no, just, just go, though, to chapter 2 and verse 29. Because this is the Lord speaking. In verse 27 of chapter 2, thus saith the Lord. Here's what the Lord has to say to Eli and his children, his sons. Verse 29, wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offerings. They're my offerings, God is saying. They're my sacrifices which I have commanded in my habitation. This is where I dwell, the tabernacle, the presence of God. This is my house. These are my sacrifices, God is saying. These are my offerings. And then notice what he said right here. And honorest thy sons above me. You're putting your, your, your sons before me, before the Lord, to make yourselves fat. Remember, we're going you know, to see in a few chapters few lessons where Eli was, you know, he fell over and died at the news about his sons being killed because he was obese. Uh, So he says, you make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. So he says, so so the point being, you know, you could, these people could bring their offerings and see how Eli and his sons were 
we're selfish and self-serving and think this is corrupt, nothing's going on, God, why didn't God do something? But the point is, God's aware, God's taking notes, God's going to take care of it, and um, He will be dealing with that. So the very last sentence on page one, this is a clear example of how those serving in ministry can become a hindrance to the work rather than a help. And it's very possible that that could happen. Um, so there's one, this one, we spent most of our time on this. This is this one track, and that's Eli and his sons. But there's another track, and that's on the back, and that's the godliness of Samuel and his family. What a contrast they are. And if you look in verse 17 again, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. But look in verse 18, but Samuel ministered before the Lord. So this phrase describes both of them. God sees it all. See, uh, number two, the character and ministry of Samuel and the wicked sons of Eli were before the Lord. Uh, God was very aware. Let's read verses uh, 18, it says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother, Hannah, made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So this is a very special thing. I mean, the ephod, according to the prescription of the Old Testament, the ephod was like this uh, linen garment. It was like an apron that... that priest put on and the breastplate of righteousness went on over that and so they made this little ephod we don't know how old Samuel was but made him a ephod and then each mother each week year excuse me each year his mother would uh, bring him this coat and uh, and again if you look in it we're not going to turn to it Exodus 28 the priest also had a robe so maybe that was a part of that we don't know that for sure now look in verse 20, it says, though, And Eli, Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife. Again, I can't read this without commenting on it. Eli's, not a, Eli's got some good things in his life, but he's got a lot of failures in his life, especially as far as his family is concerned. But Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman, Lord, give her seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord, which is language used for Samuel. When she left Samuel there in Shiloh, he's lent to the Lord. And they went into their own house. So Eli blessed him and basically was saying, may God give you, you gave your, only, you gave your son, may God give you children, additional children. And in verse 21 it says, And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child... Samuel did grow or grew before the Lord. So, so there again, you have that phrase, gee there, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So, so God is blessing. God is going to judge Eli and his house in a very stern, severe way. But God is blessing Elkanah and his house. And what a difference in these two uh, people involved in, in ministry. So God's going to give them additional children, three sons and two daughters. So soon we're going to get into the judgment upon Eli and his family, and then we're going to get into chapter 3, of course, the call 
of Samuel, which is a wonderful passage of Scripture. But this is all kind of getting us into uh, leading up to the king. So let's look at number three and just look at some practical lessons. Number one, uh, first one, as servants of the Lord, we must recognize and resist any temptation to become self-serving. You know, we, it's easy for me to look at these sons of Eli and see how self-serving they were. But we ought to resist the same kind of temptation. I was thinking about this and thinking about uh, the qualifications of a pastor in Titus chapter 1. And one of the things it says is not self-willed. A pastor cannot be self-willed. And uh, if we become to be like that, there's something wrong. Uh, B, there will be those who serve in ministry and are poor examples, but that shouldn't stop us from serving the Lord. This is one of the great, great character lessons about Samuel. He was living in this place where Eli's sons were self-serving, twisting and corrupting the priesthood and the offerings, and yet Samuel kept his head in the right place, his heart in the right place. They were poor examples, but, and sometimes we see that. Uh, see, another example, another lesson is because God is not judging those in sin does not mean he's unaware, not going to correct them. And that's very true. God is the judge. He takes care. You know, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. D, it's an encouraging reminder that as we serve others, we're doing so before the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I think most people have. You know, when people are... Uh, serving the Lord, you get to wonder why is some why isn't somebody else doing this, or how come I'm doing this, or you know what? We're not doing it for people; we're doing it for the Lord. It's for the Lord, and uh, Samuel recognized that. E last one under lessons: E Eli's sons illustrate how selfishness and intimidation and greed can turn others away from God and worship. You know, I've seen this. We sometimes think about this corruption in, only in terms of you know, some of your Protestant religions or whatever the case may be. But even in independent Baptist circles, people can become, you know, self-serving and kind of bullies and you know what I'm saying? And that's really not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way ministry is supposed to be. So, these questions at the bottom, we'll just take a few moments with this. First one Think about the danger and potential causes of leaders. And that's not just pastoral leaders or ministry leaders. It could be teachers or parents or whatever. There's a danger of becoming poor examples. And by the way, none of us are perfect. No pastor is perfect. No parent is perfect. But um, we want to be a good example. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul never said he was perfect. But he said, I'm going to follow the Lord and you follow me as I follow the Lord, and be there, you know, what, what common character flaws could contribute to these failures in a leader's life? What would you, what would you say? A leader that's not, uh, that's just kind of self-serving, um, taking advantage of their position, what would cause a person to do that? Mary? Pride. That's the first thing that come to my mind. Pride. And we all have to deal with that. With pride. You know, the Pharisees had it. They wanted to, they wanted to have the special seats in the synagogue. They, at the wedding feast, they wanted to have the recognized seat. They always wanted to be recognized and um, prestige, that sort of thing. 
But just selfishness is another thing. You know, selfishness, we all have to deal with that. So, so see, how could a person prevent these things from happening? How could a person, whether it's a parent or a pastor, spiritual leader, how could they prevent this tendency to let pride or selfishness or whatever cause them to become a poor example as a leader? Can you think of anything? Obviously, I think one thing is realize you're doing it before the Lord. We're not doing it just to please men. We're doing it for the Lord. But another thing I think is to be accountable. You know, there was no accountability. You know, Eli's sons were, and, and that by the way, there's some moral issues going on that we'll get into the next lesson about. But they're living, they're living as though they're their own boss. But in reality, we ought to all be accountable to somebody, accountable to one another. And we've already talked about this. D, how should the fact that our service is before the Lord influence us? And it, it should keep us from not letting ourselves become selfish, not letting ourselves become carnal or self-serving or prideful. And, I, you know, I, 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 maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only wicked one here. But I'll tell you, even as a pastor, you know, there's a tendency to think too much about what people think or what do they think about me or whatever the case may be. You know what I'm saying? When really it ought to be before the Lord. We're, and, it's, and we have to constantly be, that, you know, Eli's going to be judged, but I'm reminded just now of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And he said this, if we'll judge ourselves... We won't have to be judged. The, the person who ought to be strictest about making sure we're doing the right thing is ourselves and realizing it's before the Lord. And then the last thing is just a, 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 something that I thought as was putting these lessons together. Discuss how the law of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping can apply to our life. And I'm thinking about that because, because that's what Eli said Basically, he pronounced this blessing saying, Elkanah and Hannah gave their only son that they'd prayed for for so many years. They gave their son to the Lord for his whole life to be ministering in the, in, in the house of God. And basically, his, this was Eli's thinking. God, they gave their son to you. Would you give them sons? Would you give them additional children? And God blessed them and did that. And really, that's, that's, a, that's a law, a principle that New Testament and Old Testament tells us that we ought to always take into consideration. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Luke 6, 38, 38. Given, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So there's nothing wrong with that. If you, if you give something, if you give love, you'll have love coming back to you. You give respect, you'll have respect coming back to you. You give, bless, you know, be a blessing financially in some way. God's going to bless that. God blesses that, and Eli knew that. And we ought to know it. And the reason God says, be not deceived, is because sometimes we get to thinking, you know, I gave this and this and this, and yet nothing's, you know, I hadn't got anything in return. God said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And uh, that don't mean we give in order to get, but, but when you give, when you sow, it's going to come up. 
right? If you got good seed, it's going to come up. 